Well, it wasn't necessarily where we wanted to spend the night, but it's where we were spending the night. My sister and I were taken to a night of worship at a church, and it was uh, the time where churches passed out bulletins still, and they put the whole set list on the bulletin, which came in really handy because then we could check off the songs as we went along and figure out when we were finally going to get out of there, and people were... People were singing along, and then we came to the encore, and never in my life did I have such a feeling as when we hit the encore, just a feeling of joy and immense satisfaction. It wouldn't be until I went and saw Bon Jovi and heard the notes of Living on a Prayer to the encore until I felt that feeling again. But we were, we were at the final song, and it, people were going crazy. They were singing along. It's the, it's the old song, all fly away, and I was just caught up in the joy and the enthusiasm of the night being done, and the last song, and people around me are going crazy, and my ADD kicked in. I'm just kidding. I don't really have ADD, even though everybody I love and who's close to me tells me that I do, and I just started thinking about Superman and flying through the air, and I was all about it, because what kid doesn't want to fly, and I feel bad. I feel bad for, for kids and teenagers growing up right now because of what DC has done with their movies. I mean, it's a Marvel world now, and, and kids and teenagers don't understand the just the wonder of Superman and Batman like they should. Everything's Marvel now because of the horrible DC movies. But Superman was flying through my mind because I was thinking about flying. I'm like, yeah, I can get into this, flying through the air. That'd be pretty cool. And, and for those of you who don't know the chorus of I'll Fly Away, it says, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And I'm singing along. I'm excited about that. Watching people clap is always fun, especially the people who can't clap on beat. Those are really the fun people to watch who are clapping, uh, watching them not be able to clap on beat. And then we got to the line, uh, when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And I'm like, hmm? What? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know why, but it just hit me like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. And I didn't sit there and contemplate my existence. I didn't give it that much thought. But it just, it just struck out to me. Like all these people around this place are sitting here and or standing here and singing and clapping, most of them on beat, some not on beat. And they're all excited about singing this song, but we're all like, yeah, we're going to die. <laughs> and that's a universal truth that we're going to wrestle with uh, today. Today we're kicking off something called Paradise over the course of the next six weeks. We're going to be looking at the hope of heaven, and I'm so excited to be going on this journey with you. It's been said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And the reality is, in order to get there, you're going to die. Like, that's just the way it is. You're going to die in order to get to heaven. So as we start our look on heaven and on paradise, we need to look at how we get there, and that's what we're going to be doing today. So we're going to be looking at assorted scriptures uh, throughout the Bible. So we encourage you to do this often. But if you have your phones and your tablets with you, we'd invite you to follow along with us. If you haven't already, download the Bible app. It's a great resource. It's free. Once you download the Bible app, go to the menu, the three lines, hit it, drop down, go to the events feature within the Bible app. And there you can either enable your locations or type in the zip code 54201. Lakeside Community Church will pop up. There you can follow along with us. Otherwise, if you're streaming, the verses will be on your screen below. And if you've joined us here in person, 
The verses will be available on the screens on the side as we look today at paradise. And everybody wants to go to heaven, but we're all going to die. So, Genesis 3, 19 is where we start this morning, where we read these words. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, Genesis, very first book in the Bible. Chapter 1, God creates everything. Chapter 2 goes into the story of God creating Adam and Eve in detail. Chapter 3, we mess it all up. Like, literally, the Bible's a pretty big book. It takes us to chapter 3 to mess up God's original plan. That's it. And as a result of sin entering the world, because Adam and Eve took of the fruit, God said, you can have anything that you want except this one tree. This is forbidden. And they were attracted to it. They went and they took of the forbidden fruit. As a result of their sin, there are consequences. And now the end part of Genesis 3 spells out those consequences for the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve for Adam and for Eve. And in Genesis 3.19, we read those words, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Which means one of the results of sin are difficulty and death. Difficulty and death. These are contrary to God's plan and God's original design. There is perfection, but as a result of our rebellion, as a result of sin in our world and in our lives, our lives are now full of difficulty and of death. And sometimes the choices that we make in our lives make a direct result on the difficulty and or the death that we will experience. But sometimes... It just happens because that's the world in which we live. That things are going to be difficult and there's going to be death in this world because there is sin in this world. Yesterday, my wife and I were in the car and we were traveling together and we needed to buy a plane ticket, a very important plane ticket because uh, my mother-in-law is here with us and she needs to go home. So we have decided uh, what day she'll be going home. We decided one day she'll be going home, and uh, so we looked for we looked for flights, and we found one that's like it's time. Let's get her home. It's very important that we get this flight book. So Brooke pulled out her phone and she started scheduling, started scheduling the flight, and she put in all the information, and then she hit purchase, and I'm like yes. And then there was the spinning wheel of death. And when you're booking your mother-in-law's flight home, you don't want to see the spinning wheel of death. That is not the time to see that. It's just spinning over and over and over again. And I'm like, Brooke, I'm going to need that phone because we're going to need that flight because there's only two seats left on the plane and she got to get on that plane. And so Brooke hands me her phone and I hit refresh and instantly the screen changes. And I say, ha. I got the magic touch, and I passed the phone back over to Brooke, and Brooke didn't want to give me the phone right away, by the way. She's like, I know what I'm doing, Brian. I know how to enter my information into a phone, but I'm like, it's not working, so maybe, you know, an extra set of hands, extra set of eyes, maybe it could help out. So when the screen changed, I'm like, yes, magic touch, pass the phone back to Brooke. She's like, oh, great magic touch, Brian. I've got to restart the process over again. I'm like, hmm. I'll do it. Hurry up. <laughs> Two seats. She puts in all the information again. It doesn't work. She tries a third time. And I'm like, clearly you're doing something wrong. She's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I know how to enter in the information. And it doesn't work. And we were only two minutes from our destination. So I said, fine, I'll do it. I'll handle it. Once we get there, 
I'll book the flight. It's fine. So we pull in. She hands me her phone. I go through. I put in all the information. I hit purchase flight, spinning wheel of death. It never goes. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. I'm going to have to admit failure to Brooke now because it didn't work when I tried it either. So I'm like, maybe it's her phone. She probably put something wrong on her phone. So I get out my phone, and my phone won't even load a web page. Thank you so much, T-Mobile, for buying Sprint. It's been fantastic. It won't even load a new web page. I'm like, oh, this is not good. So I've got to get back on my wife's phone, and now I cannot get it to work. So I downloaded the app to buy the plane ticket. 45 minutes later, Praise God, we got the flight booked, it is scheduled, and it all happened. But what should have been a three-minute purchase took 45 minutes. I was getting ready to drive to the airport in Green Bay and buy the ticket from the counter if I had to. Why? Because life is difficult. Things in this world do not work always like they should. They just don't. That's why things don't work. It's why things break down. It's why mechanics are in business. That's just the reality. Things break down because this life, as a result of sin, difficulty and death were promised to us, and they are a direct result of sin, and they are contrary to God's original plan. But they're here. So we're going to face and we're going to experience difficulty in death in this life, because we've all made the choice to rebel against God. We've all made the choice to sin, and the punishment for that, rebellion against God's plan, is difficulty and death. Sometimes it's direct because of the choices that we make, and sometimes it's indirect, and it's just a result of living in a fallen and broken world, but it's here. So difficulty and death is universal, and it's going to be experienced by all. So now we fast forward to Psalm 39, verses 4 to 6, where we read these words. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And he says, as a result of death being, as a result of death being universal and something we're all going to experience, nobody's getting out of here alive. As a result of that, God, here's how I want you to help shape my thinking. Help me remember just how precious and just how fragile and just how short life truly is. In the scheme of eternity, our lives are like that. And so often we think of our lives as here in this earth as our entire story, when in reality our lifetime in this earth is merely the introduction to a much longer story that God has written for us. God has created our souls to be eternal. So once God has created us, our souls will live forever. That is God's original design. Now, sin messed up the fact that we will now die and these bodies will decay and they will break down and that's going to happen to all of us. But in that process, the psalmist writes, God, help me remember. Help me remember how short life is. Help me remember that this life is but a breath. 
and then it's gone. This life is but a breath, and then it's gone. Life is temporary, which means we should be motivated to wake up every single day remembering that each day is a gift. And I know it's cliche, and I know it sounds trite, but literally every day we wake up, it is a gift. And we should want to attack life with zest and with vigor and want to accomplish things and not waste our lives. But we should want to make an impact, understanding that our lives are fleeting and they are incredibly short. Which also should cause us to really pause and reflect on what am I spending my time and my energy on? Am I spending my time and my energy on things of eternal consequence? Am I spending my time and my energy on leaving a lasting impact, on leaving a lasting legacy? Am I spending my time and my energy in building up others, in supporting and loving and encouraging other people? What am I doing with my life? My life is temporary. How am I spending it? Each day is a gift, and I need to make sure that I use that gift to to do things which will make an impact on eternity and make an impact in the lives of others. Because so often, so often, what gets our attention and what gets our focus are things that will not last. I don't care if you build an empire like Amazon and you're Jeffrey Bezos, or I don't care if you build an empire like your Microsoft and your Bill Gates, and you have more money than you can contemplate even having. You could not possibly spend it all if you wanted to. Generations and generations could be taken care of off what you've acquired. And yet in the end, if all you're building is your name or your company, it's incredibly fleeting. And the psalmist writes here where you will build up immense treasure and you will build up for yourself things that seem impressive and yet you won't even know to whom they'll go. You won't even know to whom they'll go. So do we spend our lives on things of eternal consequence? Do we spend our lives investing in others? Or do we spend our lives and our attention and our focus building up things that will not outlive us, that will be taken from us, or building up things that we'll try to pass on to our kids that will be taken from them? What gets our time? What gets our attention? What gets our focus? Because life is temporary, life is fleeting, and death is universal. So let's make sure as people who love and follow Jesus that we spend our time and our energy on things that are eternal and on things that will impact others. Now we fast forward to Hebrews 9. First, we're going to look at a couple verses from Hebrews 9, and then we're going to backtrack and look at a few from Hebrews 2. Um, Because at, at this point, this could be rather depressing. So far, what you've heard is everybody's going to die, which we are. And everything you work really hard towards in your life is eventually going to be taken from you and your family, and it isn't really going to amount to much, and it isn't going to matter. Woo! Hallelujah! Let's go home. I'm glad that this has been an uplifting talk. <laughs> Amen. So now we're going to see the hope. We're going to see the hope that we have, even with these things being true, that God doesn't leave this as the end of the story. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Did you catch that? The death isn't the end. 
And just as it's appointed for man to die once and face judgment, death is not the end. That our death is not the end of our story. That we will give an account before God. Now, if we don't have the hope of Jesus, this should, this should freak us out. Because God has a standard that that standard is perfection. And some of us are closer than others to meeting that standard. But none of us measure up. None of us meet the standard of God, which is perfection. And if we're going to be judged based on a standard we don't meet, we're in trouble. But Jesus met that standard. And Jesus paid the price. See, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He was perfect and he went and he paid the price for my sin and for your sin so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see all of my mistakes. He doesn't see all of my sin. He doesn't see all the ways that I've messed up. He looks at me and what he sees is Jesus' gift covering me. So that when I face judgment before God, what God sees is not all the things that I've done. He doesn't see all my mistakes and he doesn't see all my regrets. What God sees when he looks at me is the blood of his son that was, that was shed on a cross that we celebrated last week for me. Because Jesus paid the penalty that I could not pay. Because Jesus met a standard that I do not meet. And I am going to die, and we're all going to die. And after that, I'm going to face judgment, as we're all going to face judgment. But Jesus paid the price, which means we have hope. We have hope that death, death isn't something that, that wins. That Jesus was victorious over death. And we saw that last week when we celebrated the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days later. And he is our hope. And he has paid the price for our sin. So that when we die and face judgment, and we all will, we have an advocate on our behalf. And we have forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us. And this has other implications in our life as well. So now we backtrack to Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, where we read these words. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Did you catch that? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself likewise, became flesh and blood. God became flesh and blood in Jesus, fully God, fully man, that he would die on the cross for our sins. He died. Why did he die? So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So he destroyed the power of the devil. He destroyed the power of death when he died on the cross for our sins, that the same God who put in place a punishment for sin, who put in place a curse for rebellion, who said now this world is going to be difficult and there is going to be death, the same God who sees that all of us sin and all of us rebel against him and all of us fall short still loves us even though we made the choice to rebel against him. And he came to set us free. And he shed his blood so that death was no longer victorious. And not only that, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to life 
long slavery. Now, here's the deal, people who follow Jesus. Here's our hope, and here's the promise that we can look forward to, and here's something that we can be excited about. We may fear the process of death, and that doesn't mean there's something wrong with our faith. We may see the decay that happens in our bodies and fear that process. Whether it's illness or disease or failing capacities. And if that's a fear of ours, it doesn't mean that there's a lack of faith when we see the breakdown that occurs in our bodies. We may fear leaving our descendants behind, and that doesn't mean it's a lack of faith if we think through the family that we love and are going to have to say goodbye to. It doesn't mean that that's a lack of faith, that there's a fear of that, and there's a desire not to have to walk through that and not to have to endure that. That doesn't mean that there's a lack of faith. It means that you're human, and it means that you love people. It doesn't mean there's a lack of faith if you, if you look at an illness and don't want to go through that. Here's the hope that Jesus provides. That we don't have to fear the ultimate process of death. And without Jesus, people are lifelong slaves to this idea. They're going to fear dying. And what Jesus has done here, it tells us that Jesus has delivered us from that ultimate fear. That ultimate fear of being dead is nothing we have to fear for those who have a relationship with Jesus. That he's delivered us. He's taken that fear out of the equation and he's made it something we don't have to be afraid of. That death itself, not the process, not what we're going to leave behind, but that death itself does not get to hold us down and it does does not get to make us slaves to it any longer because Jesus is victorious over it and we do not have to fear the ultimate conclusion of our death, which, by the way, is going to happen to all of us. None of us are getting out of here alive. Well, how can this be? Well, Philippians 1, 21 says this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which means our lives should so reflect Jesus that, that our lives should be so loving and so full of grace and so full of truth. But we love people enough to tell them the truth, but yet we are still gracious at the time that we tell them the truth. And we live our lives in such a way that each day we try to look more and more like Jesus. So that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Jesus instead of us. And all of us have a long way to go. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize, wow, I've got even longer to go than I realized. So it's going to be a lifelong pursuit and it's going to be a lifelong process. But the goal of everybody who follows Jesus is that our lives look more and more like Jesus. To live is Christ, that we embody his love, we embody his truth, we embody his grace. And when people look at us, they see Jesus through us. And to die... To die is gain. To die is gain. Now, it doesn't mean we all go out and commit suicide. To die is gain. But what it means is because we are living our lives in such a way 
that we embody who Jesus is and that when people look at us, they see Jesus and not us. To die is gain means that when it's ultimately our time, we go before God and we receive the reward that he purchased on our behalf. When I was dating, I would go to the zoo sometimes. I hate Zeus. I do not like animals. But I thought I liked the girls that I was with when I took them to the zoo. Never once, never once did I have a date, and maybe this was just an Ohio thing, but never once did I have a date at the zoo who said, I'd love to go check out the caterpillar exhibit. Just never happened. Now, maybe, maybe a lovely lady's out there who loves caterpillars. Maybe. But more, more than once, when we made it to the butterfly exhibit, the response is, ooh, I love butterflies. Me too. <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> yep, seen it. Let's go home. We could have we looked at that on Google. Woohoo! Like, it's just not my thing. If it's your thing, that's cool. But never once, never once, did I hear a reaction of, I missed the caterpillar when the butterfly emerged? First Corinthians 15, if you're ever walking through a hard season in life, if you ever need hope, if you're ever wrestling through questions of the resurrection, First Corinthians 15 is a chapter in Scripture all about the resurrection of Jesus, and it's a place just to camp out. If you ever need hope, if you're ever wrestling through with questions, check this out, what First Corinthians 15, uh, verses 53 to 58 say, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, that is written death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The Apostle Paul hears he's writing these words. He is taunting death. He's saying, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? I mean, this is like seeing a Bears fan on Monday after the Packers just curb stomp them. And you're just like, how was that game? Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, go Bears. Woo! Like, that's what he's doing. He's just taunting. He is just taunting death here. And he's saying, hey, death, you're going to take me. You're going to take everybody, but you don't win. You don't win. You don't get the final word. In fact, death, our God is so great that he has taken this and he's turned it into a redemptive process that we are going to die, but that death is really the beginning to the story that God has in store for us all. Now we arrive at the question that we all must wrestle with. So how can we not fear death, but look forward to it? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 gives us that answer. So we are always of good courage. 
We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So often in life, we think that this body, that this world is our home. So often we feel like this is, this is the end all be all. And the promise of Scripture is that there is something so much greater that lies ahead than anything we leave behind. In my, in my adult life, I've now moved four times. And I remember that very first, uh, very first time I was moving out of the first house that I bought. I was moving pretty much across the country. I was leaving a, a fiancé that, that I love very much uh, 14 hours away. I was leaving family and friends behind to go to a place where I didn't know anybody. And I, I remember as I was selling my first house, just the feeling of, wow, you know, this is, this is home. And every time I have to come back here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come by it, and I'm going to remember it, and I'll, I'll drive by it, and I'll, I'll just remember that this was, this was home. I've been by that place two, maybe three times to check it out, because I, I just don't care about it anymore. It's just a building. That's all it is. At the time, it was home. But wait, what made it home were the memories and the people. And the things that I had, that's what made it home. And every time I've moved in my adult life, the new home that I make with Brooklyn and the boys is the best home. And it makes it so I don't miss what was our old home. And the promise of Jesus to those who follow him, is that this home, this body, this world, this is temporary. That it's home, but it's home for now. And when we die, we're going to arrive home in a home that isn't temporary, in a home that lasts forever, in a home where everything is as it should be, where gone is the difficulty and gone is death. And restored is God's original plan. And that's what I'm so excited to look at over the course of the next five weeks with you. As we look at heaven and what we're calling paradise, and we see that. But a couple questions that I want you to really wrestle through today. The first question is, are you prepared for your death? Are you prepared for your death? Because you're not getting out alive. So are you prepared for your death? The, the first question, aspect of that's the most important, and that's spiritually. 
Spiritually, are you prepared for your death? Are you prepared to die and then face judgment? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And that is our greatest hope and our greatest desire and our greatest prayer for each and every one of you, that you would have a personal relationship with Jesus so that you will experience what we're going to explore over the course of the next five weeks. And you would experience the hope of the forgiveness of God. That you could walk through life without fear, without fear of death, without standing before a God whose standard you do not meet. Because make no mistake about it, Scripture gives us a glimpse into heaven, but it also gives us a glimpse into eternity apart from God. And I promise you, you do not want to experience that in a place that the Bible calls hell. And the great news is you don't have to. God's made it possible for you. through a relationship with him and his son, Jesus. So are you prepared for your death spiritually? Have you prepared for your death emotionally? Have you wrestled through and, and really come to terms with the fact that it, it's a matter of time? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And have you processed that? And, and the third aspect, are you prepared? Have you put together a will? Have you put together a document so that the people you leave behind understand what you wish to be done with what you've acquired, with what you have. To try to keep it in the family lineage a little more before it's just taken into hands that you don't know. Have you really wrestled through and have you accepted that? The second question is, do you fear death? Do you fear death? And if the answer to that question is yes, I really want you to wrestle through why. And if it's the process of dying, or if it's leaving descendants behind, understand those are still things to, to not to be fearful about, but they're things to think about and process through. But if the, if the answer is it's not those things that are the source of your fear, but it's the, the end result of death, and that's the source of your fear, then it's time to investigate. Is it just that I don't know what Scripture says about this, or is it because I don't have a peace about my relationship with God? And wrestle through and ask that question. And then third, live like Jesus. Love everyone. Not just people who love you. Love everyone. Be full of truth. Be full of grace. And make it your goal to really live your life in such a way that when you look at it and when others look at it, they say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I just want to challenge you. I know that the home we have here now is great, but it is nothing. It is nothing <coughs> compared to what God has in store for us. And so don't become so blinded and don't become so short-sighted about the home here that we miss out on the promise of the home that God has for us. God, thank you. Thank you for being a God who's bigger than our mistakes. Thank you for being a God who's bigger than our regrets. Lord, we live in a world that is full of difficulty. We live in a world that is full of death, and it's something that we're all going to experience. 
And I pray, God, that we could walk through our lives not fearing the end result of death because we are certain of our relationship with you. I pray, God, your spirit would just encourage our hearts with your promise of your goodness, the promise of the hope that we have through a relationship with you. I pray, God, that we would take account of our days, realizing each day that we're given is a gift, and we would all desire to make an impact for you, that we would make sure that our lives and what we focus on are not just things that are fleeting, but we would focus on what's eternal and what impacts others. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you that we don't have to walk through life being fearful of death. Lord, I pray that you'd help us remember where our home really is. And you would help us take joy in the fact that we are your children and we are loved by you. God, reassure our hearts. We ask in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.